Hello, and welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decisions to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help you win in the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Please be sure to visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and there you will find all of your favorite syndication options as well as a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. So one of the things that makes the Business Creators Radio Show so special is we are here for that brand that's looking to take on the major brands. We are here for that small business owner that wants to appear bigger without necessarily having to get bigger before they achieve bigger, if that makes sense. So we love challenger brands. And we have somebody here today who you are absolutely going to love as your guest on Business Creators Radio Show because he's going to share with us the five personality traits of an empowered challenger brand. His name is Prentice Howell, and let me tell you a little bit about something about Prentice. He's always believed in underdogs. As the owner and chief creative officer of Door Number 3, which is a full-service advertising agency based in Austin, Texas, his passion is helping brands like yours embrace their challenger ability and topple their giants. Prentice has been featured in the New York Times, Dadweek, Inc. Magazine, and Communication Arts and has authored the Amazon best-selling book, The Empowered Challenger Playbook, that describes his strategies in detail and backs him up with case studies. So the weather here is great. Come on in, Prentice. The weather's fine. Hey, Adam. Thank you for having me on today. I appreciate being here. And we're happy to have you. So by now, we probably have some people who have opened up a separate browser tab, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Google looking to discover more about Prentice Howell, Door Number 3, the Empower Challenger Playbook. So what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio is before we dive into the main topic of our article or our episode is get to know a little bit more about our guest personally. So Prentice, if you could tell us a bit about your journey and some of your experiences, what brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Absolutely. So I, I grew up in the business, in the advertising business, as a copywriter, so as a creative. And uh, that was always my passion and my love and storytelling and creating um, resonance with brands by creating amazing creative platforms. And so I've worked in, let's see, I got into SMU and worked in Dallas and then uh, Los Angeles, Austin, Detroit, back to Austin, and, and really had the pleasure of working on a lot of different, a lot of different brands. I mean, big ones, small ones, everything in between. So everything from, you know, uh, Serta and Minute Maid and Fiat all the way down to, you know, startups and, and brands that people might not uh, know yet. And, and what was always really exciting to me is being able to kind of work with brands that were on the rise. They were using data to inform creativity and their strategies and, and um, really disrupt the status quo. And so um, 
in early 2015, I had the opportunity to um, acquire door number three, um, and it's an agency I had actually worked right. at previously, and an agency that has been now in Austin about 24 years all totaled. So, um, but we we now you know we we have been for many years now uh, focusing on challengers and really kind of working as a advisory firm to them to be kind of consultative and in, in that you know be an extension of their own in-house team to help them strategize and then often you know implement the creative and the media and everything that goes into uh those those plans yeah absolutely so we're going to take a little bit of a different approach today instead of sort of warming up to it we're actually going to start from the top and work our way down so to speak and we are talking about the five personality traits of an empowered challenger brand so let's start right at the core and go over what those five personality traits are and what we can discover from them. And then we'll dive into some of them in greater detail. Well, you know, I think about when we think about going up against our giants, you know, like, like David had, David had five stones to delete Goliath. And I think, you know, if you look at it, brands have five personality traits that are really accessible to them at any time. So what I mean by that is um, they may pick one, they may pick two, they may, um, adopt more than that. But uh, I think what, the way I look at it is these personalities really inspire the voice and the tone of, of all the, they certainly inspire the voice and tone of all the brand archetypes that we create on behalf of our clients. And if you look at who's winning in the marketplace today, and I'll cite some examples, um, they've really adopted these personalities. So these are the personalities that I call are true to being an empowered challenger, a challenger that is winning in the marketplace. So um, yeah, I'll dive right into it. There's, there's five. And the first one I'll mention um, Adam is lightning rod. So I guess if you think, kind of think Lady Gaga, you know, that, that personality. So by identifying her monster fans and really catering to their taste, she became an icon. And so it wasn't, at the early days with her, it wasn't just about doing the, the crazy stuff like wearing a dress made out of meat. It was, it was about doing the unexpected, but you love her, you hate her, you don't forget her. And if you look at brands um, in the marketplace that have adopted the lightning rod personality, um, there's a lot. I mean, there's, there's, I think, a bird dogs, which is like men's shorts. You'll go to birddogs.com, check them out. There's tushy, which is bidet attachments, kind of transforming health and hygiene. Um, there's a lot of brands that kind of go back to American Apparel or Benetton, you know, back in the day. Um, brands that will take on a lightning rod personality in order to uh, advance their brand conversation, and, and they do so by being a bit polarizing. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, dollars and cents. Mhm. So that that's one, and and that's one that's uh, oftentimes more controversial. Another one that um, we look at the personality I call heretical. So you could look at a brand like Amazon, or of course Warby Parker. Um, we worked with one here in Austin called Fleur. You know they're bringing uh, perfume to the to the internet. So you purchase perfume without without uh, even smelling it, you know, which is totally heretical, totally looking over the horizon, kind of discovering what people will need in the future and then bringing it to them ahead of schedule. So, you know, if you think about it, like who knew that we would need packages delivered by drones or eyeglasses delivered by mail or, you know, a new way to sample and fall in love with clean fragrances, perfumes, but these guys did and their fans love them for it. And so a a heretical personality is one that is, you'll see a lot, and they're, they're really doing well in the marketplace. I think of my, one of my favorite shoe brands, um, Allbirds. You know, I mean, they are direct-to-consumer, made from 
New Zealand super fine wool, um, just a whole new whole new concept. And, and even the way they talk and the way they merchandise, the way they sell is heretical. It's it's very much uh, bringing you today what you didn't even know you needed. So that's one. That's another one. That's number two. Um, number three, Adam, is uh, foster rejection. So this is a challenger that really commits to pleasing a select few. So they may price people out of contention as a way to get rid of some. Um, it sounds crazy, but it's not. It's really kind of an empowered challenger's way. Even if you think of a brand like uh, Tough Mudder, right, So that which requires participants to, to carry logs through ankle-deep mud and, you know, like crawl under barbed right. wire, it's not, it's not for everyone. And that's the way they wanted it when they started, you know. So this personality is often about a very specific cult-like following around a singular passion point. And they, they, what they do is they attract their most ardent fans by pushing away others, by pushing away the masses. And it's, and then they grow from there. They build advocacy and they grow from there. So Tough Mudder, at this point in their journey, they, they've got, they probably do have something for everyone. But as they start and they're challenging ideals and they're challenging the marketplace, they're challenging bigger competitors, that's not where they started. They fostered rejection. So that's number three. Um, the fourth one is, is compulsive servitude. So this one's really about over-delivering to the extent that it becomes the very definition of your brand. Um, and, and so if you think about brands that have done this through the years, uh, Zappos as a, as a startup, I mean, they don't, they don't look at themselves as a shoe company. They look at themselves as an amazing customer experience company. So that's what they want to be associated with. So they over-deliver that way. Um, going back to thinking about a brand like um, uh, you know, Nordstrom's return policy, the Ritz-Carlton, um, knowing what you want in your room before you even get there. You know, there's the, sh the champagne, the strawberries, whatever you like. Really this idea of surprise and delight becoming a calling card. And so I think if you look at brands that are have compulsive servitude, it goes way beyond please and thank you uh, to just a whole, level, whole new level of kind of disrupting the customer journey to, to over-deliver. And that, that becomes their thing. So... That, that's a really powerful one, and we're, we're seeing it more and more. Um, and then the last of the five is, is what I call constant evolution. So uh, the most powerful brands, the most powerful challengers today, they're transcending product categories. And, and you know, that version as a challenger did that. You know, they started what was a, was a record store, right? And then they got an airline and a, a vodka. And gosh, they got everything under the version umbrella. And what's so cool about a, a brand like this is, when they have a pristine record in kind of every product launch and it always delivers the expected experience, consumers will trust them in products outside their brand's original category, you know, so they can move on and do new things. If you look at a, a Shinola, you know, they, they're they kind of known out of Detroit as this company that hustles harder and makes impeccably crafted watches. And you know what? Then they went on based on that track record to, create notebooks and turntables and pet products. And then they most recently opened up a hotel and you kind of look at the path and you go, what the heck does this have to do with watches, right? That's where it all started. But um, being able to constantly evolve as a challenger um, and being true to um, the quality and the expected outcome, you can really transcend categories and move into new things. So um, those are the five that I, I really get into in my book and, and build case studies around. All right. So, couple things that come up as I listen to you share those five personality traits. And we have lightning in the bottle, let's get heretical, 
I don't want you, you want me. We're here to compulsively serve you and extending into the other. Uh, the first item that came up is uh, lightning in a bottle. We think of public figures, whether they be politicians, whether they be uh, quote-unquote celebrities, influencers, business leaders, authors, speakers, what have you, that represent or in fact are brands, because we're seeing more and more of the personal brand taking a dominant place in our society these days across the board. And you notice that more and more we see the love-hate figures. And I'm actually myself noticing that there's a trend away from influencers, for lack of a better word, to try and please everybody. And to a degree, I see some of them reveling in the fact that they repel certain <laughs> elements of their audience. Is this something yeah. you're noticing as well? Yeah, no, I, I am. I'm definitely noticing that. And, you know, I think people are realizing that you just can't be bland. I mean, there's just so much noise out there. And, you know, whether you're a brand, a product, whether you're a personality, all of that, right? It's just uh, there's just no room to be bland. You can't waste you can't waste a media dollar on being boring. So um, they definitely get niche right. with personalities. Right, and what we, what we all often see happen is the people who don't like that figure will, will say, let's boycott their business. And you know what I've noticed about these boycotts is, and this is, a, and this is a, a broad statement that goes all the way across the spectrum, is every time I see a business get boycotted, whether it's, and, and I'll be candid, there are some cases where I think, oh, that's really awful they're doing that to those people. And in some cases I think, oh, that's good, because I'm human like everybody else. But looking at it from an analytical point of view, I say, oh, there's a business that's about to have a record quarter. Because I noticed <laughs> there's something about being attacked that causes their mm -hmm. own believers and followers to really step up to the plate and causes people to, who may not have invested them before to look at them in a new light. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, we see it all the time. I think of Chick-fil-A recently, you know, um, I mean, they're under scrutiny for different reasons, but then their greatest advocates are standing tall to defend them. So, you know, I, I guess it's uh, uh, no even bad news is good news sometimes. But, yeah, you're right about that. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, to me, that tells me that there's no need to necessarily be concerned with pleasing everybody. Because I don't think you can please everybody. In fact, uh, I've been a big believer for a long time that if you try and please everybody, you ultimately please nobody. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting. I think there's some out there that still try to do it. I mean, I, I kind of joke about, like, Cheesecake Factory menu landing on your table with a giant thud. You know, um, somehow they're getting away with that. You know, they, oh, yeah. got, uh, they got lasagna or wonton soup, or you could get, you know, just <laughs> you name it. You probably get a hamburger. But it's all in there, and it's overwhelming. And, um I just don't think that brands that are coming up now that are rising, trying to scale, trying to win over fans, um, they're just not adopting that. You know, they're not trying to have something for everyone. They're really the ones that are like, I think about like P. Terry's here in Austin that's growing beyond Austin. And I'm sure everyone's got their version of a P. Terry's, but this is a, you know, a hamburger shop that just does like three things and they do them really well and it's really good uh, and it's simple. And so, um, you know, that, that's their approach, and I think that that's the approach of the challenger is being true to what you offer and being simple and, and not trying to appeal to the masses. 
Right. And I think that, I think there's something something very, very uh, you know, important to that. And we're seeing more of the attraction with Powell and we're seeing more of the segmentation. I think that's really great. Now, you mentioned that when you have challenger brands, I thought I heard you say two different things. So I'm going to ask you for some clarification. On the one hand, rather than try and be all things to all people, it's a great idea to start with being really good at one thing, getting really well-known for one thing. And on the other hand, then I heard you say that somehow that gives you the opportunity to expand vertically and horizontally into other markets and other services. If you could bifurcate or clear that up for us, that'd be great. I think it does. I don't think that's where you start. I mean, I think there's sometimes we get people come in here and they're like, we're going to make water and we're going to make suitcases and, you know, and you kind of go, whoa, 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 slow down. Um, you got to start with one thing and you got to be really clear. But I think what's, what's cool about this, this challenger personality that's constantly evolving is that they've, they picked one thing that they're so good at. You know, I look at Zappos again as another example, like, um, that's the personality of a challenger. They're not about selling shoes. They're about selling an amazing customer experience. So, um, and they started there, and they've been there for years. But I have no doubt, uh, built on that platform, they will at some point. Who, who the heck knows? I mean, who, it's going to be awesome to watch them because I bet they're going to do something that has nothing to do with shoes or uh, buying anything online that is about amazing over-the-top customer experience. They're just going to go into another industry and find where that's underwhelming and they're going to own it. So I guess my point is that's an opportunity for a challenger. It, it wouldn't be my advice as a place to start. Right, right. So to be clear, what is your advice in terms of starting out for the Empower Challenger brand? Yeah, I mean, being niche, right, and being, being niche and being yeah. very specific and disrupting, disrupting a category by doing something different just in it's in you have to have a good product of course you got to have a good product you got to have a really good right. design aesthetic and good tone as you go out there you got to have a good voice and be real and talk like a person so there's some things like that but then i think about i'll give you an example um just a great example that talks exactly to what you're asking about adam is this company called urban stems uh it's urbanstems.com and it's a they are flowers flower delivery so i discovered them because this is a good, perfect example of like disrupting a category by doing something very specific differently. So I look at them and they, they over deliver. They're all about compulsive servitude. And I discovered it because I went online to try to order flowers for a family member in Washington, DC. And I came up against all the normal players, you know, FTD, 1-800-Flowers. And, uh, you know, you go through the, you, the experience of the online, it's like, oh, the UX isn't that good. And then, oh God, I'm going to, deliver this and the delivery fees, you know, $17 or something. I just kind of backed out and I looked and I went online and I found Urban Stems. Nice UI, nice UX, nice tone and voice. Um, anyway, ordered the flowers, sent them, and I thought, okay, that was a pretty good experience. I like that. Well, about three hours later, I actually got a text with a picture of the flowers that I ordered held in the hand of the delivery person in front of the house that they're going to with the address. And it was this great picture of the flowers right in front of the door. And it said, hey, Prentice, you can check off making someone's day from your to-do list. Your flowers have been delivered. And I looked at that, and I'm like, okay, that's the challenger spirit right there. That is what's awesome. This is this little upstart, scrappy flower delivery company going up against behemoth, and they can't outspend them in media. They can't out, you know, they can't out 
muscle them with advertising spend, but what they can do is they can look at the customer journey and disrupt what has been kind of an underwhelming experience. You know, you get flowers, and that's nice, but as the sender of flowers, how great has that experience ever been? Well, they just, they just went in there and they said, we're going to do this differently, and we're going to make you feel good about sending flowers, and we're going to let you know what you, what you ordered and let you see it. So it's just it's really cool to work with companies and be able to identify things like that in their customer experience, in that journey, in their product offering, the way they talk, the way they advertise. It's, it, it's different for everyone, but that's really over-delivering, and that's, that's a very cool example that I love. Um, and I, I've always, you know, I'm very loyal to these guys now. I always order from them. They're just uh, they're awesome. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's a very interesting thing you bring up. When I travel, I need to have sitters come in and take care of my cat because I could be away for three or four days at a time, and I can't leave my kitties here by themselves. Uh, isn't that right, Princess Stella? She's sitting right next to me right now. She agrees. <laughs> so, I have, so I have a company that comes in, and twice a day they'll, they'll make sure that the, uh, the, the, the food bowl is full and the litter box is empty and they have crisp, clear, fresh water. And then I'll take some time to play with my cats and pet them and everything else. And a piece of that experience is they'll send me photographs of the cats while they're here. And what they've discovered is if they have somebody who stops by to, to visit the cats and they don't send the pictures, then I start asking questions like, hey, where's my pictures? I want to see my girl. Right. Just yeah. That creation of a connection where I could be a million miles away and somebody sends me a picture of my cat. Uh, or my cat, creates mm-hmm. that feeling of they are relating to something that's personally very important to me. I, I know people that have cats, and if they say, well, if I'm only traveling for two days, I'll just make sure the litter box is, I'll just put in fresh litter, overfill the food and water bowl, and they'll be fine for two days. I can't do that. Uh, I need I need mm-hmm. to have my girls have visits twice a day. So there are some folks out there that will just say, all right, I'm away for two or three days. I'm just going to really stock up here, and the cat will find their way through. Uh, so these types of companies may not be for that for that person because they just say, yeah, I'll just give them extra food and a really big, perfectly clean litter box, and they'll survive for three days. Uh, so they're not for that type of customer. They're for someone like me who uh, wants to make sure that my girls get regular visitation, and uh, I'm the type of person where if I'm offered an opportunity to travel somewhere or even speak somewhere in some cases, or even to attend an event locally in Las Vegas is going to keep me away the entire day, I will actually ask, is this worth it for me to be away from my cat for an entire day? And if I can't say yes, Mm -hmm. I don't go. So there are folks out there who will invest in this type of thing, and then there are probably some people listening saying, oh, there he goes with this damn cats again. Come on, they're just cats. No, they're not just cats. They're, they're my princesses. So that right there is one example. And you, you mentioned Zappos earlier, and I'd love to tell my story about Zappos. I had a friend who was trying to, uh, who was trying to find out what type of shoes a woman was wearing in a picture because he wanted to impress her with his knowledge of shoes or something like that. So he had heard of this company called Zappos where they sell shoes online that you can order a pizza from them. So he thought, all right, I have this picture. I'm going to call up Zappos, and I'm going to send them the picture and ask them 
what kind of shoes this woman's wearing. And they they looked at the picture and they they, they gave him the, the you know the name of the style so that he would sound more educated and being able to describe what it was. And then since he had them on the line, he said, Hey, by the way, um, I was thinking about ordering a pizza. Could you send me one? He said, Sure. And wouldn't you know that a pizza showed up at his house? Now I don't know if they still do this. I don't know. So I'm not it's suggesting to our listeners that you call Zappos and order a pizza. In fact, if too many people do it, if they're still doing it, they might say, no, this is too much of our time. But think about the fact that there were people, there was somebody who called Zappos and just for fun ordered a pizza and got one delivered. And then a friend of mine heard that story, tested the theory, and it worked for him too. This happened <laughs> 10 years ago. And we're still talking about it. So once we look at that, yeah. then we can study Zappos in terms of some of their innovation and the way that they've revolutionized the, the online sales process. We can look at some of their business tactics. Like, for example, they will have the salespeople seated right next to the people who write the ads for the website. So there's communication mm-hmm. between those two. Uh, that, because they deem that to be very important. And then you can look at what the company has done for us right here in, in the Las Vegas area. Uh, they've done a lot for our downtown area, which for those who are unfamiliar with Las Vegas, the Strip is not downtown. In fact, technically, the Strip is not even in Las Vegas. It's in the unincorporated town of Paradise. It has a Las Vegas mailing address that is not Las Vegas. Downtown is something completely different. And there's been a lot of effort over the past several years to revitalize the businesses in the downtown district, and Zappos, which has their headquarters there, has done a lot to move that forward. So when you start with these funny little stories of, yeah, you call the online shoe retailer and they'll send you a pizza, then you start getting people curious about, well, well, why are they sending people pizzas? And you learn to discover more about their tactics and you become more of a case study. Yeah, no, that's that's a fun example. But look at you still talking about it after all these years. I mean, just the the, the loyalty there, and it's a great story. But that's I tell you, that's what yeah. absolutely what customers of Challenger brands want. They wanna they wanna be aligned on the passion and share their passion. And they wanna they wanna change paradigms too. I think that the, the consumer most likely to respond to the Challenger brand personalities. They they wanna change paradigms. They are frustrated by the status quo and see themselves as agents of change. You know, as well. So. You know, it's 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 interesting and it's fun, but that that's how you build loyalty. All right, Curtis. So let me run something else by you here because you are you are the subject matter expert when it comes to empowered challenger brands. I have a I have a practice that I've used called renaming it. Now, years ago when I was involved more directly in digital marketing than I am now. I would get up on stage. In fact, I still get up on stage as a stage because it's a great pattern interrupt. At some point in my presentation, I will find a way to say the following. I'll, I'll find a way to work it into my conversation. I'll say, and so what this means is it's the last thing that you need or want in your business. In fact, if you have this going on in your business right now, get rid of it. Pull out your phone, message your assistant, and tell them to get rid of it and stop doing it, is traffic to your website. You do not want traffic to your website. And people will look at me like, what? Don't want traffic to your website? So then I develop it further. I 
I let it, I let it pause for a moment. Now let that sort of hang over the room. People begin to lean in. They give me looks like I have three heads. In fact, I have somebody who's the head of a digital marketing firm trying to strangle me once. I kid you not, I have a picture of it. Um, <laughs> it was all good fun, but the picture really does exist. Uh, yeah. That person then denied that they did it, and then when I showed them the picture of themselves strangling me, they said that she said it wasn't her. So I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, so now we've got them thinking, well, what, what are you talking about? No traffic to your website. Why have a website? Why have a business? Say, traffic is the reason that I work from my home office or sit out on the balcony all day because traffic to me is tens of thousands of people being forced onto the same highway that was designed for mere thousands. And everybody is stuck in traffic. They don't want to be where they're going. They're off unnaturally early, and no matter what happens, it's not their fault. They're going to get chewed off or something they didn't even do before they even arrived at the office. So that's what I think of when I think of traffic, that thing that keeps mm-hmm. me going as an entrepreneur, even on days when I'm not so sure about it. When I think of websites, mm-hmm. what's the website? Is it an about page? Is it a sales page? Is it a webinar registration page? Is it a podcast archive page? Is it a privacy page? Is it a product page? Is it a contact page? What is it? A homepage? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's be. So a website can be each of those things, and yeah. a website can also contain all of those things. But if you're sending somebody to your website because you want them to do something, chances are you're not just sending them to the website. You're not just saying go to dm3austin.com. You're, if you're running a campaign to deliver people to that website, you're probably taking them to a specific page. In most cases, a page you created just for that campaign called a landing page. So mm-hmm. what I encourage people to do, instead of sending traffic to their website, that thing you need to get rid of, is to send visitors to your web pages who are pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. So see what I did, so see what I did there, Prentice, is I gave a formula for anybody who's looking to break into the digital marketing space and looking to stand out in the digital marketing space to be different by simply renaming it. Have you ever ever done that to any of your clients where they were a me too type of product or service and just by renaming it, you help them carve out a new niche? Mm, That's a great question. I can't think of an instance like that exactly. We've definitely been through positioning exercises, you know, where we, we have to shift the story to do that or try to, you know, move in that direction. But it, a rename for that reason, can't think of one. No. But everything you're saying about, you know, okay. driving driving people to landing pages, and I'm, I'm tracking with you on all that. That makes a ton of sense. Okay. Hopefully dollars and cents. That's got me a fair – that's got me a fair amount of attention, including some really nasty direct messages, as a matter of fact. Like, um, well, so if you really chance to get rid of it, what do you suggest? I say, did you read the entire article? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> which, leads me to an, mm-hmm. which leads me to another point. Um, uh, yeah. I, I imagine that you have some examples regarding the power of headline or the power of catchphrase. If people just don't read or investigate that far. Say that again. I, I, I missed you on that. The power, the power, yeah, the power, yeah. The, you, the, 
I'm actually giving examples of where coming up with a creative title or a catchphrase helps oh. to differentiate a challenger brand because gotcha. number one, gotcha. people just don't read that far, and number two, yep. it's like is the late Dan Pointer used to say, yes, a book is judged by its cover. Yeah, no, I got you. No, that's uh, well interesting. That we 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 worked with a comp uh, product uh, recently, not too long ago, called Mighty Swell, uh, which is a it's a alcohol beverage. It's a wine spritzer in a can, and uh, you know they're they're going up against really anyone making a decision in the beer and wine aisle to grab beer or grab wine or um, and, and so actually we gave them a, a tagline uh, let's let's celebrate. And really, it was knowing that people will, in an instant, make a decision on an alcohol purchase based on feel. And so, you know, things like making the case that there's any reason to celebrate. You know, you're at the grocery store and you didn't get a didn't get a wobbly wheel on your basket. Let's celebrate. Um, you come home and he vacuumed. Let's celebrate. You know, um, we we did a whole series around this and and at point of purchase online through social, and and really that was a line that helped them help them take off and, and separate themselves um, to be kind of this lighthearted, um, fun brand in a sea of actually a lot of, a lot of alcohol and seltzer that were kind of being self-serious. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we sometimes get those opportunities to be able to do that, and it's fun when it, when it, when it really takes off. Interesting. Yeah. So swallow break is what they're doing. And the idea is this can sometimes be that tiniest little thing. Let's celebrate. Exactly. Yeah, that was the campaign. I, I, I like it. See, everybody listening to this, if you're listening to it live, make sure you subscribe to our syndication feed here at Business Creators Radio Show so you can go back and listen to this one because there's a lot of content, a lot of brands for you to look up to see what they're doing here. And if you are downloading this from iTunes or Spotify or something along those lines, make sure you subscribe to the channel while you're there so you can get more great content just like this. Also visit businesscreatorsradioshow.com for more details. So we're here, so we're a little over halfway through. Uh, we're having our conversation with Prentice Howell of bn3austin.com. Uh, and this is about the five personality traits of an empowered challenger brand. A little bit earlier, we discuss what those five personality traits are. So if you're just joining us, make sure that you subscribe so you can catch the replay. And those are lightning in the bottle, let's get heretical, I don't want you, you want me. We're here to compulsively serve you and extending into the other. And these are some of the concepts that Prentice has covered through his best-selling book on Amazon, The Empowered Challenger Playbook. And he has a bunch of case studies, which he's already shared a couple with us. To help you understand that, uh, understand that more effectively. So, in your experience, Prentice, what I want to do is I want to go back a little bit to some of the edgy and controversial side of what we're doing here. Is have you ever seen where, by attempting to do some of these personality traits, of these five business personality traits? You've seen somebody go a little too far, like under let's get heretical, but they get a little too heretical, and it backfires on them. And some mm -hmm. things that businesses might want to consider before they take this approach. So basically, in order to help yeah. our listeners know a good, a, you know, a good guidebook to follow when making decisions to do this or not. Well, I think I think 
tolerance for risk is always going to be the big one. You know, what is what is your appetite or tolerance for risk? And you got to have really very real conversations about that internally. Um, you know, I think that storied brands, brands that are, you know, been around, I mean, P&G brand, for example, the tolerance for risk is going to be very different from a rising uh, disruptive, you know, brand that's in the, in you know, a new toothpaste brand or there's like a new toothbrush brand I saw out recently, you know, their tolerance for risk is very different. So that's always going to be the big one. I, I you know, you see, you see it sometimes. I, I see it. The, the thing, my answer to that though is actually more often than not, I see them where I think they maybe have gone too far and all they've done is embolden their biggest fans. They've actually strengthened their fan base by going too far. It's like um, I, I mentioned earlier, Tushy, right? Tushy. It's um you can probably find them online. They make bidet attachments, so um, really big in Europe, yeah. bidets in the U.S. market, not as much, but they feel like they're transforming health and hygiene. And, you know, if you go on their website and read some of their language, you might ask yourself over and over, are they going too far? I mean, they, they have T-shirts that say, ask me about my butthole. So, I mean, look, like they are <laughs> in it to win it in terms of saying, this is what we believe. This is health and hygiene. Ask me about it. I want to talk about it. But, I mean, is ask me about my butthole going too far? I bet you at a P&G brand or at, you know, some big brand with a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, not much risk tolerance, it's not going to fly. But if you look at Tushy and the biggest advocates and people that are really into this, um, it's not too far. And in fact, I bet it strengthened their fan base and won them even more fans. So more often than not, I see it the other way, Adam, actually. Um, there's always going to be that example of where something goes south and you have to recover. But um, I feel like, ah, man, there's there's just a, a, a lot of times where people are not taking enough risk. They're not pushing the voice enough, and then they're spending money on it, and it's just kind of like here and gone. It's just kind of forgotten or not even noticed in the first place. Okay. On the one hand, you have people that might be concerned about a T-shirt that asks about your butthole or what have you, but then you have the great Cornholio who has for over 20 years been on an inexorable quest to locate teepee for his bunghole. And he's doing it for his people, Lake Titicaca, which is located in Nicaragua, where there is but one bunghole, and they will have teepee. So for everybody <laughs> I'm going to have to look that one wow, up. I don't, I don't know this one. Well, yeah, yeah, you go back to Beavis and Butthead, and the great Cornholio is a sub-character within Beavis and Butthead. It's, it's basically a personality transformation that happened to Beavis when he drank too much caffeine or he took too many pills. Is to pull his shirt over his head and then put his hands up in the air and he start roaming around the hall muttering about teepee for his bunghole and, I am the great Cornelio, are you threatening me? And stuff like that. It's kind of hilarious because you have that type of sense of humor, which for, you know, these types of brands might, you know, they might find that that is, to an extent, their audience segment, those who have a good sense of humor about that. Now, here's another thing mm -hmm. that I know that you've covered, that, and I'd love for you to share some of this with our audience here, is you have asked the question, what's your So yeah. what's that? What's that all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think if, if, you, if you look at brands today that um, – you know, I, I'll give you an example. So my executive creative director, his name's Noah, and he's like a walking Yelp app. Um, I mean, he knows every restaurant in Austin. He can recite the ingredients of every small bite, you know, within the city limits. He recently came to me. He, he we were just chatting, and he recommended I try one of three 
under the radar speakeasies in town. You know, there's 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 three that have kind of popped up. One of them even requires that I download an app and I have to request the door code. And even then, I'm not even guaranteed to get in. And it's funny because you look at that and you just think, oh my gosh, like man, that's just it's hilarious that that they work so hard to not be noticed so they can be noticed. It's that whole inclusive exclusivity, right? But I think challengers need to uh-huh. take note because there's 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 something very valuable to learn from that. And you don't have to be like a semi-private craft cocktail lounge to find success in that strategy. You need a shh, you need a shh, and I'm saying shh, like S-H-H-H. But uh, secret product offerings are a really powerful way to uh, for challenger brands to begin a grassroots marketing campaign or, 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 or foster a loyal fan base or still customers. Um, you know, and if you, you probably know some restaurants that have off-menu food items or maybe hotels with an exclusive turndown services. But these brands, big or small, they're really keeping these these benefits on the DL for their most devout followers. And it kind of creates this air of prestige, but um, it capitalizes on their customers' social media clout and, you know, this mums the word promotion um, is, is really um, an amazing way to leverage an advertising budget or to kind of to fight Goliath or spout spending you. So there's examples of that. And, and you know, there's um, – if you think about um, you know, In-N-Out burgers, certainly got an off-menu item. People will walk right up there and proudly order that. And you know, it's that badge value that comes with all that. And and I think that um, having a little bit of that attached to your brand as a strategy is a smart smart thing. It's just people love it. Right. And I love the story of what JetBlue, the airline, does. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're like JetBlue, um, you know, they, they uh, for example, um, you might not know it, but you can simply, all you have to do is simply ask for snacks, like the bottomless pit of snacks. It's, it's surprising how many passengers kind of settle for one drink and one bag of chips, but, you know, it goes to their, to show their level of customer service. Um, you know, if you want more Terra Blue's chips, you want, it's free unlimited snacks on that flight. And, you know, people don't even know it or think to ask for it. Um, you know, where other airlines might be stingy with snacks, JetBlue is exactly the opposite. So people that are kind of in the know about that, there's, there's, you know, you see that time and time again with brands, and then that kind of surfaces because of customer loyalty, and people just love to share. They love that badge value of being able to share. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think people are so accustomed to scarcity when it comes to air travel these days. Is I remember the first time I did something and how much this shocked the people who were sitting around me on the airplane. Is you know how on most airlines they'll come through and you know first they'll they'll ask for your drink order and then while they're somebody else is pouring a drink, somebody comes through and offers you snacks and they'll usually offer something like uh let's just say peanuts and pretzels. So uh this thing come to me and say, uh sir, what would you like? Peanuts or pretzels? I said both, please. Like, what? You don't get both. And, you know, I mean, that was the, that was the, the perception of people around me. Like, like what? You, you actually think you, you, you get both of them? And the attendant said, absolutely, sir, here you go. Handed me a bag of peanuts and handed me a bag of pretzels. So fast forward about an hour, and this was, this was a long flight. It was actually a nonstop across the continent of the United States. And they're doing another snack run. And uh, when the, it was the same flight attendant pushing the cart that time, and when she got to me, she said, we'll be both again for you, sir. I said, yes, please. 
So it sets the tone yeah. when you allow it to. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere along the way, uh, the whole industry has changed, hasn't it? If you think about over delivering, uh, that's, you know, that's how Southwest and JetBlue and some of these others have disrupted because, um, man, we've just gotten into the situation where you have to pay for everything. You want a blanket, you want water, you want to check that bag. So yeah, there's opportunities for, for challengers in that space. Right. Right. Certainly. I mean, and the thing is, is how sometimes it's, for one thing, it's actually so easy to become a challenger. Like with most airlines, if you order, uh, if you order a Coca-Cola, they're going to give you the little plastic cup that will snap if you squeeze on it even slightly with a tiny little bit of shredded ice and a third of a can. Uh, most people don't even know that even on regular airlines and on any airline, you can simply say to the attendant, can I have the entire can please? And they'll give it to you. They assume that they're getting rationed, but they will give you the entire can if you ask for it. Now, JetBlue comes along, and oh, it's oh, can't you a six-pack. I mean, you're good to go. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and it's fun. And then we all talk about it, right? And we all share that with our friends. It's, um, uh, that, that, that sure works for them. Right. Now, here's, now here's another concept is, and maybe you've discovered this when it comes to challenger brands, is in some cases the business owner needs challenged to sort of get out of their own way and allow their audience to understand what was going on. So let me give you an example, and, uh, and I have a feeling this might be one of my listeners right now, so you know who you are and we've had this conversation. Uh, I have a client who uh, has a lot, one of his lines of business is teaching men how to succeed with women, you know, how to meet women, date women, get laid, all that other stuff, find the woman of your dreams, whatever it is you're looking for, right? And uh, in the marketing, we were designing some marketing campaigns, and we started to work in a couple phrases, one of which was is that we, one of which was is the step you take to get the, mock, the mattress macarena, and that was one phrase. Another one is we promised men that they would be able to enjoy a ride on the Cape Carnival Viral Shuttle instead of Cape Canaveral. And third, we declared war on the Romance Racketeers, the, um, the, the, the large businesses that persuade men that in order to capture a woman's affection, you have to buy her a bunch of expensive gifts. And the client looks at this and says, you can't use these phrases because who, who the hell knows what Cape Canaveral is or Cape Carnival Viral? They're not going to get that. And, and what's a match with Macarena? And, and Romance Racketeers, that's just dumb. But we kept mm-hmm. using them anyway. And what started to happen, especially when this, when this client started getting into live streams and things like that, is, uh, and then he started just really, really, it's actually one of the most active and vibrant Facebook groups that you're going to find in that niche. I mean, it's, it's a really great group, and there's a lot of active participation in it. And we started to hear, we started to hear, see posts like, my ride on the Cape Carnival Viral Shuttle. And then, there was that, and then we started to see um, guys saying, hey, you know what, I almost ended up doing the Masters Macarena with this chick, but I lost my nerve at the last second. So you see the catchphrase mm. is starting to come back to you now. And then he was doing a live stream where his intention was to get the audience all fired up about their results and not putting up with second best anymore and claiming their ability to truly enjoy the lifestyle that they desire. And you started to hear in the comments all kinds of grumbling 
about the romance racketeers. Like, after he saw that, it's like, ah, oh, now I get it. But it was just a process of mm-hmm. helping the client understand that just because they themselves may not see the value of it doesn't mean that the world may not recognize the value of it, or at least not their, their niche. So what would you say to somebody, I mean, other than, you know, try it and like it, if you want to try something innovative with the marketing to help them achieve some empowered challenger status by using some sort of catchphrase or some sort of branding element, and they say something like, well, I'm not going to do that because they're not going to know what it means. Mm, gotcha. Well, that, I, I think uh, they're not going to know what it means. You know, I think it's good to evaluate that if they're going to know what it means or not, but it, it, it's all context. It's all context. And how's it being used? And are you going to use it over and over? Are you going to you kind of build a story around it, right? Not just one and done and put it out there and expect people to catch on. So you got to be committed to it. And then I also think it's nice, like I think about my example a minute ago, let's celebrate or, um, you know, uh, when we worked with Main Root, um, this isn't exactly what you're talking about, Adam, a catchphrase that people would use, but, you know, we positioned them as rooted, rooted in goodness, which went back to their Main Root story and, fair trade and et cetera, et cetera. Now that's not a catchphrase, but my point in that is I think that if you are going to come up with a catchphrase or something that you want to get some traction around, it, it's kind of nice if it uh, has a lot of relevancy to the product itself, either the name or what the brand promise, right? So it's not just kind of out of left field, I guess. So as long as it's not just completely out of left field, and in your example, it's not, um, I think you've got to try things and iterate, and it's okay to uh, even fail but at least you get information. But doing nothing, not trying, I think that's a that's a worse sin. Yeah, and you know what I've also said to folks so many times, Prentice, is that when it comes to online marketing, all things being equal, it's a website. You can log in, edit it, and click save. It's not like you right. printed forty thousand brochures that are going to sit in a box in your closet. And now those right. words are irrelevant because you have to change the phrase. And I've been in, I've been in the business world long enough to be in situations where yeah, a bunch of brochures were printed and put in a box somewhere, and then like a month after they came out, they uh, they, they they became irrelevant because something changed. Right. Yep. Exactly. No, we we are in a in a time where we can put things out there and test and do little micro campaigns and push it forward, put more money towards it, pull back, kill it off. I mean, it, that's, that's the, that's the uh, advantage we have right now with digital. Right. Exactly. And that's what I encourage people to do. You can always try something. You can always put something out there. And if it doesn't work out, then just try something else. Like with the example of our, of our clients who teach men success with women, if it turned out that people heard the phrase Cape Connerville shuttle and said, huh? And just don't mention it again. And if you find it yeah. when you're going through some old blog posts, just edit it out. Not a big deal. Uh, but if you find right. something that catches on, allow it to catch on because that enables people to bind themselves to the brand by repeating the catchphrase. That's another thing that, to me, is important when it comes to becoming an empowered challenger is when you get your audience to say your words because they understand that's, that's those words point. back to you. Well, and, and we today right. as marketers or brands, we are not in control. The customer's in control. Like, they really are. They're kind of in control of the narratives. So you want to give them all the tools possible 
to be able to share and speak in the brand voice. And, you know, I mean, they're the ones that share. It's like, you know, when, when people talk about shopping at Target, you know, we all know that's Target. People love saying that. It's just yeah. like a thing, you know. So um, give give uh, give your people, the customers, all the fun tools and vocabulary and, and everything so they can go around and, and be advocates. And that's that's really when it gets exciting. Right, precisely. So, uh, so one final thing I think what I'd like to mention here, and I think this is very important for the Empower Challenger brand, is the concept of touch points. And I've heard you say many times, Prentice, that it's important to make touch points count. So, what in your definition are touch points, and how are you seeing some companies use touch points very effectively? Yeah, I think early on, especially early on with, with challenger brands, you just don't have the luxury maybe of a huge paid media spend or a huge PR budget. So I, I talk about touch points as like owned media. Like what are those things you own? And, and you, you can relate to this. You, you own your website. You own your, your, your Twitter page, your Facebook, your Instagram. All, you own all your social properties. If you are, um, uh, you know, selling something online, I don't know. I'm going to go back to shoes because we've been talking about shoes. What's that box look like? What's it say? When you open it up, what's a little hidden message inside? Is there a little sticker that's inside the shoe that you can go put on your car because it looks so cool? And like, that's, that's all the touch points that I'm talking about, and you really have to maximize all of them and make sure that you're saying something interesting, fascinating, relevant in every spot. And, you know, we, we worked with this company that sold uh, vitamins a while ago, and, you know, when we first worked with them, they would sell them out uh, – sell them and deliver them in like a manila unmarked envelope. And I think they knew as well as we did, and we, we helped them change this. Um, that was a missed opportunity because when that envelope comes, that's a touch point that should be just a great kind of unboxing experience that, that lets you kind of get deeper into the brand and get you build the love for the brand. So you got to just take advantage of all those and not, not waste an opportunity because at every touch point you can be interesting. And so that's what you should do. <laughs> One of the stories you tell, and I find this so interesting, is the boring company, which on the surface sounds like a pretty boring company, but it's actually not. The boring company, yeah, that's right. Um, Boringcompany.com. Not boring at all, right? Yeah. Your your listeners. Oh, no, no, not. Okay. Well, I'm there right now, and talking about flamethrowers? Have you not seen this site? I think we're on to something else. Yeah, this is a whole thing. But what were you talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, bringing up the boring company. Now, when people hear the boring company, they may think, well, that's a boring company. But we're talking about a company that is specifically, it's specifically dedicated to boring tunnels underneath streets. Boring. Boring. That kind of boring. Got so it. Yeah. 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 And uh, and uh, you shared with us, or shared with me anyway, about something they did with flamethrowers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah. Basically, that's basically right. what yeah. happened is that, that was, I remember, I remember the story. Just from my recollection, when you mentioned the, the company names, man, I knew what you were talking about, is they started with selling hats and T-shirts and things like that. But then, uh, then the 
founder of the company, Elon Musk, who's the name we all know, and now via his Twitter account, his own media, that he was going to sell flamethrowers. And he ended up selling 20,000 flamethrowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. right, at BoringCompany.com. So yeah, it, it, it definitely yeah. went viral. Yeah, so, so, so you, think, you think about that. Like, what would somebody, what would, you know, somebody think about flamethrowers? I mean, what would be funny about that? And then you have to look at the audience, which is you have the, uh, you have these are people who tend to be, for lack of a better word, nerds who love sci-fi type stuff. So when Elon said he was going to sell flamethrowers, they recognized that there was a reference to the movie Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, know your audience, right? Being, like, yeah, yeah. So being so being funny like that is to me a great way to a great way to help and empower you know empower a challenging brand. So I love this conversation. I think that there are a lot of case studies and a lot of little nuggets throughout the entire thing um, that we can discover as we go through. And I want to. But, you know, friends, I really appreciate your time with us today. It's been great speaking with somebody who works with us hands-on. And we're near the top of the hour, and I want to give this a minute to you if anybody's leaning in wants to discover more. Yeah, how would you serve business creators, and uh, what do you have that somebody can use to connect with you? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm here in Austin, Texas, and so um, I can be found at dn3austin.com, definitely on LinkedIn, Prentice Howe. And, um, yeah, I would love to connect with uh, some, some members of your audience. Appreciate you having me on and the conversation. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Me too. I, lo- I love when we just have the opportunity to kick things back and forth with the guests. So I really love these types of formats. So, Prentice Powell, thank you for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Great. Thanks so much, Adam. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win in the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.